Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and a co-host introduce each other to films, and in this way, we catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of November 2020, which means it is time for No Theme November. Uh, essentially what this means is that uh, we ain't got shit to do. It's November. We can't think of a theme, so there's not going to be one. We're just going to watch what we want uh, from week to week and just have at it. So uh, whatever whatever comes up, it doesn't matter what genre it's going to be, but we're going to take a dive into it. And uh, joining me in this first week of November is my brother, Matt. Uh, he's been on the show several times before, but uh, say hello to the folks at home, Matt. How you doing? <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> so, it. <laughs> so Matt uh, has been on the show several times previous, and he, he always has slightly eccentric uh, film picks. Um, and this time around... Uh, he was gracious enough to step in. Um, Kyle had some real life shit to take care of. Um, so Matt, uh, what film did you select for us in this first week of November? A uh, whiplash whiplash from 2014 directed by Damien Chazelle. Um, this won some serious Oscars when it came out, did not, uh, to my knowledge, I, I believe JK Simmons won the award for a supporting actor. Yeah, I know that much for certain, but as far as I understand, uh, this director, Damien Chazelle, uh, he only has like three, maybe four movies under his belt, but each and every one of them has been like a critical darling. Well, he's uh, La La Land, right? Yeah, um, La La Land. He was, the, <laughs> uh, he was the unfortunate fellow that got to go up to the stage um, when they announced his film uh, falsely as the winner of Best Picture that year. Um, he, w- he handled that about as well as one could, um, if you ask me anyway, um, when Moonlight won. And he just kind of said, like, uh, I-, I didn't win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's one of the perks of being a young director that's already that highly acclaimed so uh he'll have plenty of other opportunities in the near future i imagine yeah uh, he in particular um not just the film but i'd i'd like to pick your brain and i guess his um as we get into this conversation going forward but uh first things first um i'd like to ask you why why you picked whiplash because uh i don't know if you had seen this film previous i had not um, I'd heard nothing but great things about it, so it had a stellar reputation, but it's not a film that I had seen going in. Um, but it's not one that was super on my radar. So for me, I'd, like it is actually a question. Like, what, Why did you pick this film? Three reasons. Um, two of them related to the actors. Um, for one, Miles Teller. Um, I've had that movie about Vinny Pazienza on my queue for a long time. And I haven't been able to pull the trigger partially because I don't know quite how I feel about this guy. And admittedly, I couldn't picture him playing a boxer. And, and I'm going to tell you right now that that opinion's changed after watching this movie. Um, J.K. Simmons, I think, is a brilliant actor. Um, I've been kind of following him since watching Oz way back in the day. It's a little embarrassing to admit that I watched that series. But um, he was brilliant in that, albeit being a very disturbing character. And, um, you know, obviously J. Jonah Jameson, he plays that better than anybody could have imagined and everything else he's been in. So seeing him in kind of a starring role um, seemed like a real treat. And then a uh, third reason, honestly, was um, despite all the stupid streaming services I have, um, 
I couldn't find anything to watch. So I looked on that Tubi app and it was free and about to expire. So um figured give it a shot because it was the best looking movie available. So Wow. Um I'd I'd really like to get into all three of those points, but um first things first, man, Tubi. Um <laughs> when you when you texted me that, you're like, it's free on Tubi. <laughs> I was like, the fuck is Tubi? <laughs> like, it's like the red box of Netflix. I mean <laughs> I it it's like it's like the daily motion to YouTube where it's like you always forget that it's just it's still hanging out there. But you know, when it comes to like regulating media and stuff, Daily Motion's profile is so low these days that like pirated <laughs> shit just finds its way over there constantly. Like you can find so many full-length feature films and like live sporting events that find their way over there because nobody cares. <laughs> nice hat. <laughs> it's like Dotson, Dotson, we got it's Daily Motion. It's like we got Daily Motion here. <laughs> nobody cares. But yeah, Tubi. This was a first for me. I, I mean, I've I've used uh, what was it the the Sony streaming service? I forget what it was called. It, was, it wasn't Bing, but it was like it was Crackle, Crackle. I, I yeah, used that yeah. way back when because they had like a whole bunch of Godzilla movies hosted on there a long time ago. Um, but this is first time I've ever uh, checked out Tubi. But to be honest, uh, I, I found a couple things I'd like to check out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, like. Uh, I would say they have some underrated sections for certain. And honestly, like, you know, completely separate rant, but like, it seems like some of the other streaming services given kind of the shutdown in, in filming recently have really been kind of hindered as they were kind of poised to have to give up all of their uh, license material to kind of focus on their only their own. And I don't know, I haven't been impressed with what's been coming out for Amazon and Netflix and kind of the big ones. So um, it's just kind of a shot in the dark. And like I said, this one was set to expire and I'd been meaning to watch it and check it out. So very right. cool I mean, renting a movie digitally is, is not, oh, it's not really that cheap, honestly. Like usually it's like four bucks, you know, mm-hmm. that adds up very quickly. So for me to watch a couple of ad breaks here and there, it's like, I was raised on TBS motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm used to 10 minutes of, of movie and then 20 minutes of commercials. Like I was raised on this. Like it, it's fine by me, but um, for someone of a younger generation, I'd imagine it'd be, it would just be intolerable. Um, yeah. But for me, I can stomach it just fine. Even even a movie like this, where you really are deeply engaged in the experience, like I can handle an ad break every now and again. I gotta pee. I drink too much coffee. <laughs> but um, I think your three points are are a good foundation um, for the beginning of our conversation here. Um, so I'll use that as the skeleton going forward. But first things first, um, we should give a basic rundown of the film. So this was Whiplash, uh, directed by Damien Chazelle. I believe um, he had only made one film previous to this. And as far as I understand, it was like a limited release affair. It was like an ultra indie film. Um, this film was actually an ad- adaptation of a, a short film that he had made previously of the same title, um, also starring J.K. Simmons in the same mm-hmm. role. Um, so this was like kind of like a, a a hidden like special special role that this guy had in his back pocket all through those years in which you were like watching him and other stuff like of course spider-man and oz and stuff it's like you know secretly he has this other magnificent performance that he's been keeping buried in his closet somewhere that it's just waiting for the right film to be unleashed and sure well, i was gonna hell. say like 
to not to interrupt you there, but like one of the things I've always appreciated about him is he reminds me so he has this ability to channel uh, one of my favorite secondary Seinfeld characters, uh, Kruger, um, George's boss, who's just kind of this like dipshit, like yeah, whatever. And it's like <laughs> the man, the fact that he can kind of straddle this ability to like be totally indifferent and just kind of like this wholesome guy to being just a menace is is really fascinating like that's that to me is a sign of a great actor yeah um chameleonic is the the word that i've used to describe jk simmons and uh mr kruger is played by an actor by the name of uh, i had to look his name up i i didn't know it off the top of my head but it's uh, daniel von bargen and uh he has been on catching up on cinema previously in the form of a uh, lord of illusions where he plays a mm. terrifying like covered from head to toe in, in gruesome makeup effects, like straight up evil wizard uh, slash cult leader. Um, and yeah, he can do both. <laughs> he, can, he can be uh, the man who gives zero fucks, Mr. Kruger, um, and he can be a terrifying wizard man. Um, so yeah, uh, J.K. Simmons does give me that vibe as well. Um, he, he can do virtually anything you ask him to. It just so happens that um, we all fell in love with him as J.K. Jonah Jameson and in other related films and uh, I guess he just kind of got pigeonholed for a minute there as the funny guy because he is very quick you can tell he ad-libs a lot of his stuff um, but he's he's a very versatile actor that's for sure um, but the basic uh, plot overview um, usually Kyle handles this so I'm going to try my best here but uh, essentially <laughs> Fliplash is the story of a young man enrolled in a prestigious uh, New York um, musical college, essentially. Um, and he, he has this ambition to be uh, essentially the best jazz drummer that ever drummed. Um, and then he finds his way into a prominent professor's classroom and uh, he, gets, he gets his ass tore up pretty bad <laughs> um, verbally he gets, and physically um, by this teacher. Um, and the story progresses from there where it's, a, it's kind of a, a story about ambition and and uh excellence the pursuit well, of excellence and what it what it means and what it takes from you and what it gives to you i guess so here's here's like the hidden mean reason why i wanted to watch this one with you and compare notes is because obviously like the rocky films have been near and dear to our hearts and for various different reasons and i think honestly after watching this and watching creed I think in many ways that this movie conveys kind of the spirit of the first Rocky film um, almost better in a lot of ways. And largely because it is focusing on that pursuit of excellence, but also the mentorship, which is such a big part of the original Rocky. And um, I, I don't know, I, I thought that was fascinating because I feel like like the younger generation, you know, obviously I guess I'm tailing a millennial, but then Gen Z also could probably find more common ground with this type of of a movie in this type of setting, despite really it's part of it is just focusing on just the obsessive drive it takes to become excellent at something. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very challenging story. Um, I mean, I'll just say it straight up. I mean, we do full spoilers on catching up on cinema, but um, I really, really enjoyed this film. Um, and part of what makes it so enjoyable is <sighs> You, you kind of have to watch it with two brains running parallel to each other. Exactly. Um, yeah. And by the time it all ends, uh, 
I, I defy you to give me a, a concrete answer as to, as to what the emotionality is that's being expressed. Um, because it is like everything we've said about like the bare bones plot description is, is true. It's factual. Um, but the way it's interpreted um, comes down to you as a person, like your own yeah. personal values. Um, um, I, I would say actually the other thing that's other reason that this came out that was kind of came to me after the fact that we agreed to, to review it together was um, very relevant. If you're a fan of football right now in the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually led to their separation this year. And, and that that's a completely different rant again, that's, you know, off track, but that is a perfect example of kind of the relationship that these two characters have of just kind of both kind of the highest end and both obsessively kind of pushing to achieve something for the greater good, but at the same time also looking out for themselves. And so seeing that kind of playing out now in the professional realm of if you're into national football league, um, that, you know, it, it really is fascinating. Like when you compare it to the premise of this film, um, not to completely derail us. It, it's not a derailment, but I'm, I'm curious actually what, how has Brady been without Belichick? Uh, he's been more successful, um, but granted, you know, he also inherited a much better situation than Belichick has. I mean, uh, Belichick had quite a number of people who um, decided to sit out the season because of COVID and also just kind of being put in a position where it actually almost makes more sense for them to not compete this year, just given all the crazy restrictions and being such a control freak who's really kind of built his success on drilling down and folk making everybody be on the same page, which is practically impossible now in the zoom meeting era of practice. Like they didn't even really have a full off season. So um, realistically it's practically impossible for him to find true success given everything going on. So meanwhile, Brady's kind of inherited a young team with a lot of talent on the, on the offensive side. And, you know, he had Gronk came and joined him, but again, that that's all, outside of it it's more just you know two guys who for the longest time you know it was always the debate which one's actually responsible for the success you know is it the greatest quarterback who ever lived or the greatest coach who ever lived you know how much influence does each have and that kind of goes back to that the other point i was saying with rocky where it's the whole mickey versus rocky how much of it is the palooka that kind of really pulled himself up and dug deep or how much of it is actually the old man who finally could give him the time of day and really kind of forced him to reach that level where he could dig deep, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, not to, again, not to completely derail us, um, but you did bring up Rocky. So, and it is you and I talking, <laughs> so um, we're going to get into it. It's going to happen, but um, yeah, I mean, definitely as the series progressed, um, the importance of Mickey to, to Rocky's like, whole game as a fighter was it was definitely an important element maybe not so much in the first one um but yeah i mean a fighter is not just himself he has a support system and it could be argued that the emotional support of actually having adrian and to a lesser extent paulie (laughs) could help out too but um that's neither here nor there so um i figure um instead of just like tackling the movie like beat for beat um first things first i wanted to go through your points. Uh, you had three points. And the first one 
uh, is a big one because Miles Teller. Uh, we're going to talk about Miles Teller because um, I wish Kyle was here because Kyle detests this man. <laughs> like Kyle absolutely hates Miles Teller, um, and for the most part, I I I don't have it in my. I don't really have it in me to hate anyone, even like an actor, even a person who's several degrees removed from me. But he he just does nothing <laughs> like, like for for me he is not a selling point however i will concede that he was very 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 good in this role i think that's his strength though like i think that that's always that's kind of goes in the same line of, for me with the pazienza flick um where it's kind of like looking at it, it's like well i, I kind of want to watch this because it's about a boxer's career i followed briefly but at the same time i just look at him and this guy's like a charisma vacuum there's just nothing there but again that that plays to it he, he's got that everyman quality that is very difficult to have in hollywood especially when you look on the other side of things and everybody's you know you have like the avengers right <laughs> where everybody's beautiful and you know fresh-faced and so uh to have the ability to kind of be just kind of a lump of clay i guess um it, it's critical if you're trying to make these kind of more focus on real life movies i guess well i i have seen him in a handful of other films um before i see i watched him in in whiplash and uh it i came into this film with a question about him and it was it was answered in ernst um, thankfully and that was should miles teller play assholes and the answer is yes absolutely he needs to that's i think why he's here <laughs> because <laughs> he has that way about him and there are he does have a couple of snappy moments in this film where he is utterly vicious and unlikable. And that I was like, oh, that feels right. <laughs> well, I mean, going back to like when you were kind of giving the synopsis, like A, th that synopsis is accurate. And that's part of the reason like I didn't rush out to see this movie because it sounds boring, frankly. But part of the brilliance I, I felt w in watching this was the fact that like for the first like 20 minutes of the film, he's kind of portrayed as just this dopey nerd that is just you just assume he's going to be this wholesome guy. And then as they start peeling back the layers of who he is, you realize he's, he's like a psychopath. He's, yeah. you know, he's, yeah, he's, he's a sociopath in some ways. Um, and not, not to get too in, into the, into the weeds here, but um, uh, like the first 40 minutes of the movie, like beef before he's in the classroom setting properly. Mm -hmm. um, damn. Uh, this, this is, this is filmmaking. God damn it. Um, this film won won an Academy Award for editing, and it as I, I don't remember what else came out in 2014 off the top of my head, but I I think it was well earned um, because the way this film is shot and cut together, it's it is really lovely to look at. Uh, there's amber tones all over the place, um, in particular all those like close up scenes with J.K. Simmons getting in his grill and whatnot. Um, but like the way that the camera floats through so many of the musical sequences and uh, you can tell that the director, Damien Chazelle, has a musical background because he does such a beautiful job highlighting each of the individual instruments. Like, by the end of this, mm -hmm. like, I have no musical ability of my own. Um, I barely understand how most of these instruments work. But by the end of it, I've, I honestly kind of pretended that I did because, <laughs> because of the way everything was framed and the way everything was edited, all the, all the punctuation to the musical beats... Like he he puts everything front and center, and all the movement fits with all the instruments and whatnot. It's like, damn, 
he, he damn this guy actually knows what instrument is playing when for me it's all just a wave of sound but it, it just shows a love for the product itself um and the manufacturing of the sound and whatnot um but the the opening like 40 minutes or so i noticed some really cool stuff they're doing with the the filmmaking where uh, you're just kind of hanging out with miles teller's character for a lot of it and he is a loser <laughs> yeah like, like well, he, that's he is confronted at one point for having no friends and he legitimately doesn't seem to have any um and i noticed a lot of really neat things where again i kind of felt like i was learning things about how music works like things that i don't actually know but things that i suspect that i have a better understanding of now just because of watching the fucking movie um and it had a lot to do with um framing shots and making cuts from his perspective where he's he's very uh his focus is kind of all over the room like yeah. there's a there's a lot of instances of people walking past him and him like looking up from his toes and like he's always late you know, in like social interactions or like he's always fumbling when it comes to like getting people's attention stuff because he's always preoccupied with like everything else going on and and the camera trains on like little things like people dropping pencils and like uh when he first gets to Fletcher, uh, J.K. Simmons' classroom, uh, he's asked to tune a drum kit to a certain key. And we, the viewer, and his character are just assaulted with noise while that's all happening. And he has mm -hmm. to ask several times to like get, get somebody to hit a couple of strokes on the piano so he can tune it. And he can't find the sound amidst all the noise. And I think it's very fitting that J.K. Simmons, in the one, like, the one time he's fucking nice to him, uh, he actually tells him, like, straight up, like, oh, just relax, have fun. And for a minute there, I was like, damn, like, he really got a handle on this kid because, honestly, like, based on the filmmaking leading up to that, it was like, you know, that probably is what he needs to do. Uh, and then he verbally assaults him right after <laughs> But it's also too like even like the first introduction you get to J.K. Simmons' character, a Fletcher, is uh, kind of he pokes his head into because um, was his name's Andrew if I remember right, and um, Miles Tellers. Anyway, he's he's like practicing late at night, and he ca he catches in, and he makes him go through kind of the motions to test him out. And it, it really kind of portrays J.K. Simmons' character as being sort of this like just. Um, you know, artsy kind of like aloof, very kind of he's connected, but he's not, you know, you can't tell if he's just fucking with him. And, but at the same time, then you take a step back and you realize that, you know, Andrew is been hanging out in this classroom basically because he knows that JK Simmons, you know, Fletcher makes these rounds and pokes his head in from time to time. If he notices a student's working late into the night and that he's been kind of setting himself up for these mini auditions constantly maybe because of what you're just describing like he he those are the things he focuses on latches on and because he's so driven by this concept of becoming you know this great musician yeah. um yeah that that did feel deliberate on his part although uh i'm i'm gonna be honest and say that i didn't i didn't realize that uh until you brought it up um as i was watching the film like you said i came at him just assuming because he's so dopey and because he's so antisocial that I just assume, oh, he's probably just a quiet, normal kid. And it's like, mm. <laughs> it's like no, I, I, th I don't think when we first meet him, he is that. I think we just all kind of get baited into thinking that because that's how 
movies usually work. Right. No, like I had the same thing too. Like there's a shot where he's hanging out in his, his normal classroom, which is still like advanced, whatever, you know, music. And he's watching the, his, his partner drummer, the, the other guy that he shares the set with, who's kind of like, he's like shows up late and he's kind of kissing his girlfriend or whatever, saying bye to her. And, it, and it's this kind of like shot where it's a mixture of so many different emotions where it's like on one end, it's like longing to like, Oh, you know, I wish I had that. But then there's also in hindsight, you look at it and it's like part of it's almost this like smug judgment of like, this is why you're not getting ahead. This is why I'm going to take this from you. And, you know, cause you're so focused on other things. And it, it's fascinating because then that leads to, you know, he goes to the theater with his father and he asks the girl out, but then you are, you do leave later on wondering how much of that is motivated by him actually being interested in her genuinely and how much of it is he just kind of is so socially awkward, like you just described, that he just views it as like, well, I need to do this to fit in. So this is a woman that I see and I have a rapport with, so I'll just see if she wants to be my girlfriend. Yeah, I I think it's fitting that um, when he makes that overture towards her is it's right after um he gets in fletcher's good graces so Mm -hmm. i interpret that as him just like riding the high and then he realized oh wait that wasn't wise (laughs) um but uh actually yeah i'm I'm really glad you you brought up uh those lingering shots of his first classroom um because you're you're totally right It, it didn't occur to me until just now that in retrospect, you totally can interpret those 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 shots from his POV as him being smug, as him looking down his nose at those people. Because um, if you listen on the audio track, like all the all the buzzing of of dialogue and whatnot in the room is about like social engagements and like parties mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then, like like you said, the one guy making out with his girlfriend, who, interestingly enough, that character shows up later in the film, and when he plays just a couple of beats on the drum, Andrew springs up out of his chair and says, what the fuck was that shit? <laughs> and honestly, that, that, that loud of a reaction, that, that vicious and aggressive of a reaction suggests that that was loaded. Like that was in the holster. He'd been sitting on that for however long he'd been in class with that guy. See, I'm glad you bring that up because that actually plays to like really the scene that kind of switches gears for me is... Mm. um the dinner Ooh, with his yeah. extended family. Yeah. Cause like previous to this, it's, it's everything you just described um, where it's just kind of one of those things where you're going through the day in the life of him and he's got this wholesome dad that wants to spend the weekends with him hanging out and seeing what he's doing. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, but then all of a sudden he goes out to this meal with his extended family. And I think we've all attended one of these meals where it's kind of just tense for no reason other than everyone doesn't necessarily get along, but they have to, to make it through the dinner. And it's interesting because all of a sudden it switches there and, and he's a huge fucking asshole to everyone. And that's when you realize it's like, Oh my gosh, like, a, like Schaefer Academy that he goes to for music is supposed to be a, a, in the fictional realm, the Harvard of music. So he's kind of looking at all these people who are talking about his community college, like cousins or whomever they are and their exploits. And he's just kind of like, to hell with you. Like I'm achieving greatness here and, and you're just toiling away with no direction. And, 
And he just starts like berating him essentially throughout this dinner. And you realize it's like, holy crap, this guy actually genuinely believes he's better than everybody. This whole time you've been led to believe he's just this dope who's just kind of like socially awkward and bangs on his drum. It's like, no, this guy is so obsessed with being the best that he turns his nose up at everyone. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then you, in hindsight, kind of go back because previous to that, there was the date with the girl where it, it's just a very innocent, very honest conversation between two college age kids, you know, talking about college essentially. And it's her just kind of saying like, I don't really know what I want to major in and this might be a mistake. And, you know, common things when you're a freshman or sophomore in college to, to bring up. But then you realize it's like, to him, he was just kind of judging her the whole time too. It was just kind of like, no, this is what I will do. This is how I'm going to achieve it. And I'm here because I put myself in that position. It's this very like bootstraps mentality that you didn't realize this guy, this guy possessed. Um, yeah. Um, that, that uh, date sequence is pretty, pretty rough um, right from the get go. It's just like, you know, you should probably call it quits right there, <laughs> um, but they do carry on a little bit. Um, but she's she's kind of an important character. She doesn't occupy much screen time. Uh, she's played by uh, Melissa Benoist, uh, who plays Supergirl on the CW or whatever. Um, I think the only other thing I've seen her in is a. Uh, oh fuck! She was in Patriots Day. <laughs> she was. She was like the girlfriend of one of the terrorists <laughs> fuck I, I can't believe i put that movie on <laughs> like my amazon account's probably just like the fuck is your problem <laughs> like, uh but hopefully i don't like ruin my cue with that my algorithm but um her, her character is important her and paul riser who I was delighted to see. I was I was elated to see Paul Reiser. I was like, oh my god, he's still working. <laughs> and he's the same as he always was. Except he's like very nice in this. He is a, I was gonna say he was wonderful. He yeah. just seemed like a wonderful adult male. <laughs> like, you know, like he is, he just he's the wholesome. best dad. He is the yeah. best dad. Like he does the whole thing where he puts the he puts his palm on his son's cheek and he kisses him. He he put gushers in his pantry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he put gushers in his pantry before he left. He's a great dad, and they go to the movies together. Um, and he has one of the like one of the final shots of the film is kind of why I I feel you your personal baggage coming into this film is has, is how you'll view it. Um, it's it's very much open to interpretation um, because that last shot of him viewing his son putting on the performance of a lifetime through like a crack in the door or behind the curtain rather um, he doesn't look terribly happy <laughs> you know? he doesn't look thrilled at what he's seeing even though it's musical genius at the same time it's like you know all of all of his you know good parenting and his his just showering of affection on his son it's like i don't think this is what he wanted <laughs> well that that's a great transition in discussing jk simmons character because you know he obviously is the big bad in this movie that kind of torments andrew throughout and you know obviously getting to this place he he poked his head in he heard andrew bang the drums he decided he had enough to warrant being brought in briefly to his class to kind of be an alternate. Um, and then 
So he's attending the courses, in which case, you know, he's given a little tryout with a little encouragement, like you said, you know, J.K. Simmons' character, Fletcher, just kind of is like, you know, just relax, you'll be fine. So he goes in, tries to relax. Second he relaxes, he gets a chair thrown at his head, you know, and then berated. And one of the things that uh, Fletcher constantly brings up is, uh, that was revealed at one point um, by Andrew is that his dad was a failed writer. And initially he described him as he's a professional writer, but then he admits, no, he's a high school teacher and, you know, he teaches English, but he, he wrote at one point and that's something that gets thrown in his face by uh, Fletcher. This first time he really lays into him. I mean, there's a lot of scenes throughout. I, I can't recall which order they occur in, but there's many, <laughs> many sequences of Fletcher berating, um, you know, Miles Teller, Andrew. So, but that's one of the ones really hurt when he throws that in his face. And then the response isn't to get mad or like to stand up for his dad. The response is to stay up all night until your hands bleed, hitting the drums to achieve the perfection because you realize in that moment that Andrew doesn't respect his father. He doesn't want to be anything like his father. Like he wants to be great. He views him as a failure. Yeah. He was ashamed to, to admit what his profession is because he didn't. Yeah. Want to, he, he, didn't lied. Want to he, he called him a writer, even yeah. though he probably has you night know, attempted it in his practically his whole lifetime, you know, but yeah, he's ashamed of that because he that's his attitude. That's how he views the world really is like you can you either have to be the best or you're nothing. Which is a terrifying thing, but there's a lot of people who hold that belief, you know. Like I said, open to interpretation. There are a lot of people who will view this as a triumph triumphant film. <laughs> um but then there's people like me who view it as almost like a, a horror film. It actually mm -hmm. gave me chills at times. Inclu like actually the, the phrase that came to mind when we were getting to the climax, like when we we're in the, the very, very long climax of this film, um, the, the, the phrase that came to mind was, um, oh God, he created a monster. Um, that is Fletcher created a musical machine that um, I, I don't think it's an accident that they they do the they do the fun whip pan like, like in air quotes fun whip pan back and forth between the two and it's literally Fletcher playing him like an instrument yeah. <laughs> like like he's on a marionette string or something um, he he created an instrument in the form of a human being that he um, I want to say like socially engineered um, because Fletcher is devious in in how he approach in how he approaches Andrew um, you could even interpret their initial exchange as being him uh the very first thing he has him do is uh, he gives him a series of just rapid fire commands and this is something that he does to all of his students mm -hmm. um, basically he he has a demand you, you you get one shot you have five seconds to impress me <laughs> after that you're on my yep. shit list forever um and the one thing that andrew shows right away is that like you said he he doesn't get pissed off he doesn't get frustrated he he just does it um, he won't. He won't always get it right, but he just keeps trying. Um, he yeah. has that in him. He has that grit, that tenacity, um, and I think that's what he took from that exchange. Was that it's like, ah, this is a kid that no matter how many times I slug him in the face, he's going to come back. Yeah. Um, and that translates into their further interactions throughout the film. And I, I think that 
um, like you said, what what makes that classroom scene when he when he throws the chair at his head, uh, the moments leading up to that rather, what makes that so vicious and intense is that uh, he comes up all buddy buddy to him in the classroom and tells him like he lulls him into a sense of security where it's like oh yeah we're we're here to have fun even though every interaction you've seen me in previous I've been utterly awful to everyone I've met <laughs> um, but he coaxes personal details out of him like he he straight up asks like what's your mom do what's your dad do and he learns yeah. that oh mom left dad's a failure and he uses that as ammunition to slam him over the head with. And sure enough, uh, instead of instead of laying down and you know curling up into a ball, he he studies all night and he comes back and he rises up to the challenge. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say too, like it, it's a fascinating study of just leadership as a whole. Like it, it really is kind of one of those things where, um, I, I mean, I guess it's harder to imagine now but like there it was that realm of like the patent leadership where like it's supposed to be you're this just this super alpha figure that just kind of demands the best and and one of the things i really liked that was very subtle but those competitions the way they're framed in the film because that's one of the things they're attending all these musical competitions and you realize that again it, it kind of gets revealed a bit later but like the schaefer academy is the best of the best for mu young musicians so in order to maintain that, they always need to win the competitions. Like everything does need to be perfect. And so that's really a, a cool way to like realize the pressure that's involved. Because the vast majority of us, like our academic career, like there's many a times you screw off. There's many a times you're not paying attention to them. But we're talking about the best of the best for an American private institution here. So some of Fletcher's technique kind of makes sense in that regard because any mistake that happens reflects a hundred percent on him and will reflect a hundred percent on the Academy. Like they do not get to come in second. They do not get to have anything less than perfection. Yeah, no, I, I found that very fascinating as well. I also like that um, the first concert that they play, like the first tournament that they do or whatever, um, the crowd is not packed like it, mm -hmm. it's just a handful of people but fletcher is keen on emphasizing that the people out there uh they never forget and they can make your future essentially um and i think that's that's fletcher's technique is that like of course like what he says explicitly in the film is that he believes that there is no excuse for you know not giving your best and it, it it's kind of like an iron sharpens iron mentality where it's like yeah. i i beat you over the head senseless so you come back stronger um but i i think like if you're to stretch beyond the frames of the film i want to say he's he's just very good at getting a read on people where he he understands what needs to be how people need to be poked and prodded to to coax them into the position that he needs them to be in because like there there are some like extraneous elements in the band that he he calls pretty readily like um there's that really great sequence um in like one of the earlier classroom sequences where uh he's trying to get somebody to, to fess up to being out of tune mm -hmm. and no nobody fesses up to it and it just so happens that the person that he like confronts head on about it and like condemns for being out of tune actually wasn't uh, they were just too they were just too afraid or too dumb to realize that they were, and then after the fella leaves, it well is 
kicked out of the classroom essentially he points out that like oh by the way you <laughs> were out of tune but you get to stay because you're still useful to me in some way i was gonna say that that part really really like hit a chord with me because um having played sports like never on a very very highly competitive level but just sports in general that that's one of the hierarchies that you start seeing establish itself when you're a member of a team it's you realize that like if the coach is looking to build the best team possible, like not everyone makes it, you know, there's the participation trophy era of sports, which I was very much a part of, but when you start getting into the more hyper competitive realms, no cuts are made. Like, and you, as a leader, your job is to recognize weak links and cut them off. And it's a really harsh reality, but that's part of the reason like sports figures command so much money is because that's the fear, that's the realm of that they live in. That's their world is just no matter what, somebody can look at you one day and just decide like, I don't like the way you fit in that uniform and you're gone, <laughs> you know? So that was really just like his, mo- he motivated the whole class by calling out this kid because he lacked the confidence to stand up for himself in that moment. But he's such an intimidating figure that you also get the sense if the kid stood up for himself, he would throw him out on his ass. So, yeah. yeah. Millhouse, you're cut. <laughs> Ralph, <laughs> you're cut. <laughs> 100%. But no, I, I, I really think that, that that's his philosophy is that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing the whole, I'm playing the whole symphony, essentially. Um, and I agree with you. I do think it works. Um, it's terrifying, but I think one of the, the more, uh, instantly relatable aspects of the film, um, is a, uh, the fact that our, our main character plays a drum, um, yeah. which is a v- very visceral instrument that anybody, anybody can play, like anybody can strike a drum and make a, make a sound. It won't be a good sound, but they, they have a very basic understanding of how it functions. Um, which plays into the performance where it's like me as a viewer not having any musical background, it's very easy for me to grasp um, the effort and the technique that goes into making these wonderful sounds and how much effort is put forth to make it happen. Um, but the other aspect of it is B, um, like you said, the uh, the roster, the bench, mm-hmm. um, the fact that most of the positions have, I think they use the terminology core and tenor. Yeah. Um, and basically you have this stooge sitting next to you that is a very capable musician in his own right, but just by his title and his post is recognized by the whole room as being secondary and lesser Mm -hmm. than the other person. Um, And we get to see Andrew go through this journey of first entering classroom, uh, then sitting in the secondary chair, moving into the primary chair, being removed from the primary chair, and then seeing how badly that throws him off course, <laughs> like he yeah. he flips the fuck out. And Fletcher even mentions explicitly in the film that like, oh yeah, that that jerk off that was in your class previously, the you know handsome ginger with the girlfriend, I only invited him in in here as a, as a carrot for you to hang on a stick, because I needed you to be better. He sucked, <laughs> I knew it, but I, I needed I needed him to sit in your chair. For just a few minutes just to set you off in the right way um and it's it's utterly devious that that's that some evil fucking shit but if you get in someone's head to that degree 
um yeah i mean i hate to say it but there's there's a phrase that comes to mind sometimes that you know people some people not all people people are math and uh yeah. if you figured out that equation um you can get a lot out of people um if you're two steps ahead of them in the equation well and then that's where fletcher's such an interesting character though too because i while i totally hear what you're saying there there's also the part where it's like when does he cross the line like the most obvious one is is after the car accident, which, you know, obviously we're giving away the whole thing here, but he's, you know, he, Andrew wakes up or he, he's on a bus to attend their, their event. That's about two, three hours outside town, whatever bus breaks down. He has no way to make it. So he runs and rents a car races to the show. And then as he shows up late, you know, rushes in, this is after he's played all night to earn the spot to be the main guy. You know, he, he, this is after they brought in the redhead kid to play against him just to drive him, whip him into this frenzy to where he would play until his hands bleed. And, you know, finally gets the sign off from Fletcher, shows up late, covered in sweat. And Fletcher calls him out for not having his drum kit with him or his, his sticks. Some, you know, non-essential thing, but he, he demands that he have those present. And all of a sudden Andrew realizes, oh my gosh, I left them back at the you know, rent car rental place, but he's so caught up now in the, in this head game that he, he needs to go get those to prove that he did everything right. And so he races back. He's not paying attention. He's just speeding and he, he gets T-boned and he still gets up and rushes to go perform. I believe he's ends up being like 20 minutes late and somehow they still haven't gone on the stage yet. But that was a little weird because he had been given like five minutes, even though it was a 10 minute drive. I yeah. really liked how they, they made that clear through the GPS. It's like, you have this much time. Cause I've definitely been that guy running late to something where it's like, even though this GPS just told me it's going to take me 20 minutes to get there, I'm going to call him up and be like, I'll be there in 10. You know? But yeah. he's, <laughs> That that whole sequence had a very uh, Goodfellas vibe. Um, the 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 crazy cocaine-addled uh, drive around town uh, sequence. It, it's just stress. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very stressful. Um, the the car accident scene is pretty well rendered. Uh, it's very. Mm -hmm. It sneaks up on you. It makes you gasp. Um, and his reaction immediately afterwards is, you know, the driver that hit him is like, just just sit still, like, st stay put, we gotta sort this out, and he's like, I gotta get to the concert! <laughs> I got my sticks! And uh, he's terrible. Um, and it all culminates with him uh, tackling Fletcher after Fletcher gives him, like, the, you know, cut it out, guys, like, you're 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 done actually is the phrase i think he uses to him and but the fact that he even let him on the stage even though he's covered in blood and sweat he's disheveled as all hell like he already reflects terribly on the band yeah but i mean there's that part of fletcher that sees it and he's like this guy's mad like <laughs> we gotta put him out there just to see what he produces yeah because that's kind of the underlying theme it's always like I'm trying to get to the next level with you. So what more can you dig out of you? What more can you pull out? Yeah. And, and by the end it's uh, there's, there's that sequence where um, he goes off. Uh, bas basically uh, we have this, this whole big blow up where as a result of the car accident, um, Andrew's family gets contacted and uh, they file suit against Fletcher um, anonymously um, but I guess uh, there was a sequence earlier in the film where, where Fletcher 
tells the classroom and he has a tear in his eye when he does so that one of his students uh, died in a car accident. Uh, it's later revealed they commit suicide, which, yeah, I, I knew that. <laughs> like, I, I didn't need the movie to tell me that. I could have told you that. But um, basically, they're, they're, you know, filing suit against Fletcher for being too brutal in his methods as a teacher. But um, by the time we get to the end of the film, we have this big grand concert sequence that, you know, they kind of play at breaking bread and uh we'll, we'll get into it in more detail but the one thing i wanted to point out here was that there's a sequence where andrew is going nuts on the drum kit and he goes off in the solo and fletcher based he has to like calm him down like he he has he has to tell him to stop uh, otherwise the kid will probably die playing the drums um and it's chilling <laughs> it's it's a little disturbing to watch um but yeah, part of me wanted to say that uh, when Fletcher told him to get his sticks, like it, it was like a, a playing the whole symphony kind of deal, where it's like if I give him special treatment, then the rest of the the rest of the folks won't won't be as good. And you know, a, a whole symphony is not just a whole; it's not just a drum kit, right? Yeah, no, it's uh, so yeah that that basically happens is he gets kicked out, and so then it gets revealed that there's this complaint against Fletcher and he's asked to anonymously share his story and ends up going through with it and leads to Fletcher being dismissed from Schaefer Academy. And so then, you know, Andrew's living his life now. He's my dude, you know, the girlfriend that you mentioned that was so critical to the story, we skipped over it, but, but he breaks up with her when he's achieving success in, in Fletcher's classroom because he, doesn't have time to pay any attention to her. He needs to focus hundred percent attention on his being, you know, the best of the best drummer, which, um, you know, Rocky, Adrian, Mickey, <laughs> that whole dynamic, even though it's not explicitly told by Fletcher, like you need to do this. Like it was kind of just implied by the nature of the obsessiveness. Um, but she obviously doesn't take that well. So now he's single, he's no longer in the academy, he's working in a deli, and he's just living his life, and he goes about and he notices that Fletcher's performing with some jazz quartet in, in some bar, and he goes and attends it, and that's where, where they do the uh, breaking of the bread that you described. I thought that was interesting, like, I don't know enough about jazz music or music in general, but it's the first time you get to see uh, Fletcher actually perform, mm -hmm. and he kind of, like, he's good, but he's not great, which I've always like felt like that's another thing that's always been drilled into us by our father in terms of leadership qualities. It's like the, those who do do and those who can't teach, mm -hmm. um, which is applicable in certain respects. Um, Fletcher by no means is, is terrible. I mean, he's very, very competent in what he does, but he's, he seems like everything is just technically correct. He doesn't have that next gear that, he basically reveals after the fact to Andrew that he's been trying to instill in him is it's you can be good. I can teach you to be good and just follow whatever's on there. But in order to get to this level where you, it just flows out of you, you got to push harder and harder and harder. And it, it's fascinating to me, like that part of it, because they don't delve into it, but it is neat to like realize it's like, Oh yeah, he, he plays his own instruments too. He has his own, whatever he's probably composed his own pieces you know but he just seems to you know not believe that he's there so he's going to find somebody else a muse to really 
do it. It, it. I don't know. Like I said, the leadership component to this film is so fascinating to me. Oh yeah. No, it's very rich. This is a, a movie I actually think I'll, I'll rewatch at some point. And I think I'll enjoy it equally because it was, I, I was kind of enthralled with the experience. I watched it by myself. I probably should have watched it with a friend or with my girlfriend, but um, I have two thoughts running in two different directions. So forgive me if this is a little no, scatterbrained, no. but um, one was uh, in, they're both in regards to Fletcher, but I, I thought it was really neat that we get to see Fletcher um, before a performance um, in the hallway, uh, talking to a former student uh, and, yeah. and their daughter. And he is so nice. He is so utterly warm and kind. He's great with the kid. Um, and you, I think it's really neat that it's framed from Andrew's perspective and it's at a great distance um, and it's completely independent from the classroom environment. So it kind of reminds you that it's like, oh, he's this, he's this super villain monster throughout most of the film um, in the context of music and, and the classroom and performance and whatnot. But he's still a person um, and he does have it in him to be kind and good and he does have a social circle outside of the classroom i was going to say too that the student that um took his own life that's you know had lodged the complaint um fletcher actually reveals that he was in some sort of like major orchestra he was like the first chair wasn't he yeah yeah and he, he got him to where he intended to get him exactly like he he def like that emotion he showed when he revealed that the the student had perished even though he lied about being you know a car accident as opposed to a suicide but the reality was like he he this student achieved what he was trying to do for him he he was like you want to be a career musician i gave you a career in music the problem was was the way he the student achieved the career in music was by being so obsessive and driven to this level of madness that you know it's almost like implied like the second that his you know dexterity started to slip and you know it's noticeable that he's not performing at the level he needs to that it became too much and he took his own life. Well, there's a lot, there's a little bit of repetition of the phrase, like, is there a line? Um, essentially like, can you be pushed too far or, or, or can you perform like to an excessive level? And then the answer is um, no in regards to performance, as far as we know, but you know, the human body and the human psyche can only take so much. So there absolutely is. I don't think it's ever de definitively answered um, by any of the characters in the film, but it's that question that you, the viewer need to keep in the back of your mind. That's like, huh, um, this is a case of one person who did reach that pinnacle, um, but it broke them. Like it utterly destroyed them to the point that they took their own life. Um, and I, I like that that was telegraphed where um, Andrew is flipping the fuck out and he's, he's like, Oh, I, I can totally play this. Like I, I can do this. Like, let me have the part. Um, and Fletcher gets a phone call and it's, it's about the suicide. Um, and he very quickly like ushers Andrew out of the room and he just says, if you want the part work for it and you, you see it for just a couple of frames, but he has tears in his eyes and the phone is on the desk. Um, and so that's what telegraphs the, 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 death of his former student and his emotions are true like he he did care that you know somebody he taught passed and uh the other thought that i had um the other direction um uh, was a uh, full metal jacket arlie aramy mm -hmm. um i see some similarities between the two characters because Absolutely. they sh they share the same relationship because one thing that always 
resonated with me about the uh, the boot camp sequences of that film with Arlie Ermey as the drill sergeant um, is that he knows all of their names and he knows all of them. He knows them from head to toe. He knows everything about each and every one of those people. And he's so awful to each and every one of them, but it's only because he knows them so well that he knows what he's got to do to get them where they need to be. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, that was his motivation. It was like, you will die if you don't listen to everything I'm saying to you. And you could even make the argument that he had more, he was pulling more for Pyle to, to actually make it through than he was for anyone else. Like he was just kind of like, you know, realizing this one's going to take more work and, and obviously went about the most disgusting, horrible way possible. But that was kind of the logic. It's like, my job is to make it so you survive a war. You clearly are lacking in the things that will benefit you in this situation. So I'm going to focus attention on you. It just so happens it's going to be very negative attention. Well, it's going to be very negative attention that galvanizes the rest of the crew. Um, because unfortunately, the many are more valuable than the, than the individual in, in that context. Um, and we, like we said, we, we do have a moment like that in one of the earlier classroom sequences with Fletcher, but it, it's just a thought that popped into my head. That's like his sequences in the classroom are slightly reminiscent of Arlie Ermey tearing into all those, all those folks. Um, because like, like I said, like he's utterly cruel to each and every one of them. Um, but he does know all of them. Like it's only because he cares that he can do that in such a precise manner. I felt too the way he berates them. It's mainly Andrew, but just w when he's being vicious, it really does come across. And I think this is benefit of playing the character on multiple iterations, you know, for a, and thinking about it for a long, long time. But it really does feel like just like Arlie Emery that it was all improvised. Because it's not the lines aren't like clear. Like it 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 really feels like he's just spitting up what the first thought that comes to mind. And I, I just have a hard time imagining that that's rehearsed. I think he really just was told, like, just lose your shit on this guy. You know? Yeah. And it really, really, really comes through because it's like you like when he's berating Andrew about his father and stuff like that. It's like it's not even like poignant like poetic almost like Harley Emery does where he's making fun of him. It's like vicious and nasty and he's just trying to pull together the ugliest sentence he can imagine on the spot with the limited information he, at his disposal. Yeah, it's I mean he uses whatever personal ammunition he has, like Andrew's family situation and whatnot. Um but a lot of it is just like if he's talking to a dude, usually he emasculates them in some way. There's a lot of dropping of hard F bombs, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the, 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 the main weapon he has at his disposal is uh, uh, not my tempo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that, that phrase uh, takes on new meaning after you've seen this film. Because, uh, oof. I mean, I, I want to say most people, there's like, I call it like a, a rule of three, where, or, or maybe it's maybe it's two. Where if you ask someone to repeat themselves more than twice, you're asking too much. <laughs> like I know, I know our dad would. <laughs> if you ask that might dad just to be a Philly thing. <laughs> well, funny enough, um, to bring it on back to Miles Teller. Uh, Miles Teller is from Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> I did not know that until I looked it up. But he's from Downington, Pennsylvania. 
Um, and he is a self-proclaimed fan of the Phillies, the Flyers, and the Eagles. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that'll teach you a wide range of emotions, not <laughs> positive. But um, one last note on Fletcher um, was uh, the vibe um, behind the curtain. Um, so when when he's teaching class, when he's holding court with all the students and whatnot before performance, uh, he's dropping those hard f bombs. He's tearing he's tearing up asses all over the place. Um, but the finale of the film, uh, when he has his his more loose, just like congregation of jazz professionals, it's serene. He's so kind. There's there's no there's no like lightning bolts being tossed at people's heads. He's just a friendly dude. <laughs> he does remind them that you know people are listening, people of import, but just have a good time. <laughs> it's just fascinating that's like the vibe totally changes when these aren't people that he's trying to push to greatness. These are people that he just wants to have a good show, basically. That's that's a very good point. Um, I was going to say that like part of that maybe is being removed from the madness of being part of the Schaefer Academy at that point. But the reality of it is like <clears throat> he could be just as much of a madman in his personal life. He, he's not at all. He's very chill <laughs> until way. he totally throws Andrew under the bus in, in a disgusting move, which is, he he agreed you know during their meeting in the jazz bar he requests that andrew join him on you know as a part of this group that has a performance coming up and so he goes and he knows that it's all you know he was told that it's going to be all the songs that they played back in class so you know he's obviously had that drilled into his head forever and he goes in the first song cues up and it's not at all what he's prepared for it's something he's he doesn't know any of it his, the guy next to him on the base is like yelling at him because he's not doing anything. And Fletcher prefaces it before starting off the performance by letting him know, yeah, I, I know that you're the reason I got fired. Like, I, he essentially brought him out there to be ridiculed by looking like a complete incompetent. Because as we know, the drums carry the tempo of everything. Like it, you won't notice if everything's going great, but if it goes bad, it ruins the whole thing. And he was willing to sacrifice all of that just to put this kid on the spot. Petty. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> Although, you know, it did cost him his, his job, which was very prestigious. But um, yeah, that was. I'm sure we can all relate to that sequence. That was like, you're just like... Ooh, the whole time. I mean, it was bad when he, you know, got in the car wreck and was dropping his 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 drumsticks and whatnot. But this one was just like, oof. I was getting flashbacks to Cub Scouts, uh, Frosty the Snowman. Like, I didn't know the song at all, so I was just <laughs> mouthing it the whole time. And that song is way longer than you would expect. <laughs> like, that sucks so bad. <laughs> and that was on a very small scale, so I can't imagine how awful that would feel. But um, spoiler alert, uh, Andrew comes back and uh, finds his footing when they do. He insists by just like going nuts on the drum kit that they go directly into the next song and he leads the whole band, puts on an amazing performance. Um, but there's a beat in between that where he kind of like storms off the stage in a huff and his dad 
best dad in the world <laughs> meets him backstage because he sees it all. He's like, oh no, it's happening. <laughs> and he jumps out of his seat and he runs. He finds him backstage. And he's like, it's okay, son. We can go home. And he's like, no, dad, I got to go back out. And he plays. And we get to see Paul Reiser's like, just face aghast at the sight of his son, just like going ape shit on the drum kit. Um, essentially having a, a, a musical seizure <laughs> that he can't seem to stop on his own until Fletcher like brings him down and like has to usher him down. But um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a lengthy, beautiful musical sequence that it's so well shot and cut together that it, it almost fools you into thinking that this is a beautiful triumphant moment akin to like Rocky, you know, whispering in Apollo's ear ain't going to be no rematch where <laughs> there was <laughs> but, but it's it for me personally I was like oh fuck this kid is just his brain is mush like he he, he is a, he is a musical machine but a functional human being I don't I don't know if it's in the cards man because the the girlfriend character that we, we keep not talking about and I guess we're just not going to the reason why she's important is that she she and his dad are like literally his only connection to humanity outside of music and and excellent the pursuit of excellence and he does have a moment where he does try to be a normal person and it doesn't sit well with him um, yeah. and he has that weird phone call with her where he's like hey i'm going to play in a jazz band and like you should come even though i like dumped you in the most like emotionally vacant and cruel way imaginable and now because you were lit- there's to quote the departed there's no one else there's no one else she, she doesn't have anyone else so he calls her and she's like uh, you know i have a boyfriend now because i'm not a, i'm not a fuck up like you um, and the, him hanging up on that call is him basically like kind of giving up on the outside world. And I think he kind of made the decision right then and there. That's like, you know, I think the music is, is what I got to do. Yeah. And, and I think you had mentioned it briefly, but I, I really think the fact that he's plays the drums, the combination of just the violent nature of it when you're playing at that level, but also the fact that like, it's not as apparent when somebody's like an insanely talented drummer versus like a guitarist, a, a pianist, a, you know, any type of horn player. Like that would have been just so, so typical to see somebody like go out and just go Lisa Simpson on a saxophone and steal the show. And that's how, you know, Fletcher gets one over. But like the drums, it's not only does he steal away the set from Fletcher, by coming back onto the stage and starting up a song before he has been cute, the band has been cued up, but then to just progress it so much and so long and, and clearly requiring so much dexterity, it really like holds your attention where you're like, Holy fuck, like that really. And it's really well shown throughout as he's practicing of him just constantly, like I said, bleeding, taping up his knuckles, you know, icing his hand. And he just goes about it like it's just one of those things you do in order to do it. And I think that that's something that like really, really gripped me with, with his performance. Uh, Miles Teller, that is, because it really like that's something that as much as I love the hokey like Rocky monologue where you just show him progressively getting better by lifting weights or whatever, you don't necessarily realize how much it's taking out of 
the character until you like really i mean again that's why i think it compares very well to the first rocky because that's really the only one where you kind of see him working his way up from something i think it's the inverse of rocky though because rocky kind of gets there because like he said all the people around him finally believe in him which causes him to believe in himself whereas andrew he cuts off all of his attachments Uh, he kind of isolates himself uh, he puts himself in a corner and gives himself no other options than playing music. Um, whereas Rocky has a support system in the in the form of you know family and friends and even the whole neighborhood. For fuck's sake! <laughs> that, that that's precisely what I'm talking about. That's why I was saying like I think that this speaks more to like the new uh, modern generation of people where they did grow up with support systems and it wasn't as harsh of a world. Like Rocky existed in a world in 1970s late 60s america where if you didn't make it by 30 you're done (laughs) you know that's that's kind of it like you know you just kind of that's literally the point of the movie is him just kind of being like i just want to prove to everybody that i'm not just a pile of trash despite everything telling me i am versus this it's like no this kid like clearly had a nice childhood a supportive father people seemed to like him you know if they spent enough time mom ran out on him though yeah but it wasn't that's not really something you could blame on him you know it's just he didn't have a perfect life i think that you know it's a neat wrinkle but it's just to look at it's like that's the pursuit of perfection now it's like i need to be perfect because i had all these wonderful things as opposed to again the rocky world which doesn't exist as much now where it's just like flat out like you have zero options once you've you know all you have are the people around you and that's be happy well i mean i think the the connection is strengthened by the fact that you know boxing just happens to be a sport that um technically you don't need any equipment to do um there's there's plenty of uh travelers in certain parts of the world that, that do it bare knuckle and in backyards and in barns and whatnot um and drumming i mean just plenty of people with five gallon uh what paint buckets and stuff that can make wonderful music that it just happens to be a very elemental very very kind of bare bones activity that anyone can pick up but to truly excel at to truly be great at there is a massive distinction and i like that there was a lot of uh repetition about um I forget. I think it was, there's several musicians mentioned, but I think it was Charlie Parker is the one they keep bringing up. Yeah. A jazz musician that I, um, was he the one that had a, it was like a symbol thrown at his head. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, but, that was like Fletcher's whole thing is that that's what motivated him to achieve greatness was because of that moment where he almost had his head taken off by a symbol and forced him to go back and dig deeper and, and develop his talents to another worldly level. Yeah, I like that they cite that as an example where it's like, I I am justified in my methodology because look at this example. Um, I thought that was really fascinating. But I'm sorry, I I forgot your third point. (laughs) Do you remember? No, we covered it. It was just about Tubi. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We we talked about Tubi, that's for sure. And um, that's really not a point. That just speaks to... uh, the fact that I couldn't find anything to watch over a weekend. Well, you know, convenience, man. It, it makes all the difference when it comes to decision-making sometimes. But um, one thing I just wanted to have a little rant about Miles Teller before I guess we wrap up here is that 
I still don't know how I feel about the guy. I do think that his wheelhouse, and I, I do see, I'm looking at his filmography right now, and I do see that he is playing Goose's son in Top Gun Maverick. And I think, <laughs> I think if, if he, if he, you know, is an, if he's a brash, arrogant asshole, I do believe he might be able to do that. I, he's not a selling point for me. I, I did see the Vinny Pazienza movie. Uh, it's called bleed for this. Yeah. Um, but it, it's funny. You look at his filmography and it's like, I, I don't know if it's in the cards, man. Cause like his, his agent is putting in overtime, getting him certain kinds of roles. Cause like as a, as a young American male actor, it's like, okay, uh, he's he's done the the Oscar worthy performance in the form of Whiplash. Uh, he's done the the young adult action films in the form of those Divergent movies. Uh, he he did some rom coms. Uh, he he did a he did a fucking Fantastic Four movie that nobody likes. But hey, it's a comic book movie. Every young up and coming actor has to do one of those. Fuck, he, he did the Todd Phillips wannabe Scorsese movie, that War Dogs movie. So he's done like a heist thriller kind of thing. He played a boxer. That's almost like guaranteed Oscar nod. Like if you play a boxer, <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's just what dudes do. It's like, yeah, I got ripped and I played a hard scrabble fellow with a regional accent. That, that puts you on the ballot at the very least. But it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and I, at this point, it's like, I don't know. I, I think, I think uh, he's... He's just gonna be one of those guys. I don't. I don't think he's ever gonna be a household name. Uh, other than I don't think Kyle. he's ever gonna be a household name. But I think that again, I think that plays to his strength. I oh think yeah, it's he a played a soldier too. He played a fucking soldier. So he's done every every kind of prestige. Oh, he was born to play a soldier. I mean, he's yeah, that yeah. guy could put, be in every war movie ever made because there's always a need for kind of that nondescript, just kind of boring featured guy that somehow has enough. <laughs> carries himself in a way that you remember him just, but otherwise just a, you know. a pug face something or other with some facial scars but not the handsome kind like tom hardy <laughs> i i think it's just a matter of um building up enough clout to just focus on i i think this is more in his wheelhouse than doing a the crap that you're describing like i think the pazienza one was 100 percent because of this movie because all the sequences of him training and bleeding and and just being exhausted yeah, very much were it could have easily been you could cut those all with fight sequences and it would look like a box. No, I movie. mean, and that fits Vinnie Paz's character. Let's see. He, yeah, he was that he did have like that Rocky Marciano belief of like, if I work twice as hard as the other guy, I'll win. And, and he was just, you know, pug ugly, just brawler. Like he, <laughs> there was you don't want you know, John Bernthal to play Vinny Pazienza. Like, Actually, Vinny Pazienza do. was the guy. <laughs> you just give him no, a shitty, just saying, like, him a shitty difference... haircut. <laughs> He's perfect. But Vinny Pazienza, like, shouldn't, didn't look any different than, like, half the people you would see in, like, a roadside, like, bar, really. True. Like, he yeah, was just right. kind of a very just nondescript East Coast, like, brawler. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it... it, it I think that movie he was cast because of this. Like I said, he could play any soldier just because he just fits that role. Like he's one of those guys you see in the war movie. It's like, oh, I didn't know he was in it. As opposed to like a David Schwimmer that Oof, it's like you yeah. see him in a helmet and it's like, eh, it's not doing it for me. Is it Ross? <laughs> what are yeah, you doing out here? You know, he did a great job, mind you, in, in Band of Brothers, but still, it, it like you just see him and it takes you out of, you know, believability. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this guy, I we'll we'll wait and see. 
Because yeah. based on that filmography you described, that's not great. I, I consider him a, a talent on par with kind of Shia now. With these doing more of these like bizarro kind of like original type movies as that's opposed fair. to that's fair. Like I think that he can be in that realm. I think it's just a matter of that the right directors need to kind of like cast him. Like it, it can't be like the popcorn oriented. I, I think he's more indie, and and we'll have to see. I mean, it's uh, I I was very impressed by him in this. I'll say no. That. I I thought he was very very well cast. Um and. I hate to say it, but a lot of it had to do with just straight up physicality. Not so not so much just like pure like like line delivery and like screen presence and whatnot, but he played the hell out of those drums. Um and his his the construction of his face, like especially those early sequences, I thought it was really amazing that both you and I were our interpretation of the character so radically changed after getting deeper into the film. And it was all just purely based on visual information because he has very little lines in the early goings of the movie. So you just look at him and you project onto him a character and then you're like, oh, no, that's not what he is at all. And a lot of it has to do with him looking, I hate to say it, but a little bit derpy. Like, like he, he has kind of a vacant quality to him when he's, when he's not being animated or engaging in conversation. He, he looks like he's got, got his head in the clouds and you don't really have a good read on him. He also has a delivery that's very, it sounds like mumble mouth, but it's actually very clear. Well, yeah. I mean, it, when I came into this movie, uh, I didn't know he was from Pennsylvania. Um, I'd seen him in several other films, some of which he did have. I mean, Vinnie Paz is from Rhode Island, um, so he was putting on an accent for that. But um, for the longest time, I couldn't place like regional. I didn't even know if he was American, to be honest. Like I wasn't certain yeah. because he does have a strange delivery. He has a he does have a bit of mush mouth, but um, it's unique. But it's clear. It, it's, it's clear. clear. Like it's you clear. actually hear all the words, which is important because it, I think it played to why you perceive him as being very meek at the beginning of the film, um, when in actuality he's just this insane level of competitiveness to him. That well, know. like you said, he he sharpens the fuck up at that dinner scene. Um, yeah. where it's like he's he's kind of pushed to the brink where it's like all all of a sudden all those all those vicious thoughts that he's been sitting on for god knows how long they bubble to the surface and it's like oh damn that's cutting uh, to say the least oh totally it's definitely like i said that sequence is so tense and that like you just get that sense where it's like nobody really wants to be there but they're just trying to go through the motions and that's what sets him off is like they're just going through the motions of his cousins or whatever sharing their achievements, playing, you know, community college football or whatever. And for him, that's just such an insult because it's like, you're not accomplishing anything that you're going to really hold on to your whole life. This is just a temporary, like you're just occupying space. And, and he gets so agitated by that notion that, you know, you realize that's what compels him to push himself that hard. Yeah, no, I mean that the, the date sequence as well like the the tension escalates very quickly as soon as that comes up as a topic of conversation not, not only that i mean this guy pulls a mattress into a, into one of the practice studios and is you know bleeding from the knuckles and the fingers constantly and uh, i mean you get the sense that just the idea of having to put food in his face is a 
is irksome like it's bothersome to him that's like yeah. you mean i have i have to do certain things like i have to poop like, like this is i should i should cut a hole in a bucket while i'm drumming god damn it like that's time that i could be drumming <laughs> uh but um after having seen this man i i i want to see la la land and i want to see uh first man because uh if the if the editing and the cinematography and the attention to detail and the characterization is at least you know at least evident maybe not not necessarily on the level with this like if i see the same creative voice in those other films of damien chazelle's uh i'd love to check those out um even la la land which i don't have anything against musicals um it's a weird thing to put on just like on a lark in the middle of the day <laughs> like i will say that much it's it's not something i find myself just in the mood for um but i don't have anything against the genre and in fact like when it comes to like dance choreography and catchy tunes of course like i'll show up for that kind of shit um but how about you 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 think you want to f- keep your eye on this director oh absolutely i mean like i said th- this really just hit struck a chord with me um you know not musical pun toy unintended <laughs> there but um no it, it really like i say i to me it really encapsulates like kind of the, the mood of right now where it's like you can have all these resources to accomplish perfection but like how much are you willing to dig deep into that realm to get there and, and i think that's something that keeps a lot of us up late at night when we're feeling like shit bags so um this one to see it play out in a way where it's like actually terrifying it's like you know what that's why i have my nights where I just stay up playing video games and fuck it all and using all these resources before me. It's sometimes you just need to enjoy life. <laughs> and, but by the same token, it's like, well, this all many people who have achieved a lot of greatness. This is what, what they claim it is, is beating your head against the wall so much that, you know, it has to happen. So um, I, I'm, was very impressed. And like I said, nothing about the description of this movie sounded compelling to me, but um, it certainly is on my list of movies I would recommend to anyone. I can't say it better. So I, I'll just let you have the last word on it. So um, thanks for, thanks for bringing this movie to the table. Cause um, I probably would have just perpetually put this one on hold. Uh, like I said, going in, I, I heard nothing but good things about it, but I'm really glad, bro, that you you decided to pull the trigger on this one, bring me along for the ride, because uh, yeah, it was fucking good. <laughs> Check it out. Um, well, I gotta make up for the dark backward at some point. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, previous episode of catching up on cinema, uh, maybe the first that Matt was featured on, uh, the dark backward. Uh, Check that episode out. Maybe, maybe before you watch the movie. <laughs> It, it is not for everyone, but don't watch the movie. Just use the podcast. It, uh, it, it made for a, a very fun conversation, though. And uh, I know Kyle and I have been wanting to have you back for another edition of uh, Cinematic Deaths. Um, so if ever you have time on on your schedule and we can get the band together, um, we gotta do that because it keeps coming up. Like we we keep referencing awesome deaths in movies, and it's like, huh? 
it's almost like we did a whole episode dedicated to that at some point. We we should probably do that again. But well, before we sign off, first off, let me congratulate you on your milestone. Um, after having recently listened to the Terminator Two <laughs> podcast to commemorate uh, all your list, you know, plays, I guess it would be. Or it was uh, our hundredth episode and hundredth episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, one bone I have to pick with you while I got you here, though. There was one audio clip, and maybe I missed it, but there's an audio clip that I didn't hear either of you bring up where the guy who's driving the shit truck on the highway. Wow. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. We didn't bring it up. I... I, th- I, think I was so mad at you guys. Oh, like I'm everything sorry. else was on point, but you neglected to bring that. And I just wanted to call you out on the spot so you could do the, the <laughs> impersonation of that iconic audio clip. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> wow! <laughs> when, he j- when he jumps off the freeway. <laughs> ah, that old man ate shit. <laughs> His face was just probably crushed by the gravel, but... Yeah, I'm sorry. We we had like a string of episodes, like three in a row, where I I was I was kept up at night because we'd we'd sign off and I'd I'd have the recording in the in the editor and everything, and I'd be like, "Motherfuck! Like, how did I forget <laughs> that?" And it just kept happening. And God damn it! I, <laughs> well, now the folks at home can, if they if they followed along, they can hear it on this one. So. Thank Perfect. you for calling me. Mission accomplished. Yeah, mission accomplished. But um, thanks again, Matt, for joining me on this this episode of Catching Up on Cinema in uh, No Theme November. But um, that being said, if you'd like to check out some of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can feel free to look up all of our previous episodes, all 100 plus and all the bonus episodes. We do about two a month. Uh, sometimes with our frequent collaborator, uh, Brad, from the Cinema Speak podcast. You can find that all on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, and we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of a Instagram, at catchinguponcinema, as well as a Twitter, at catchingcinema. So feel free to hit me up there with any suggestions for future episodes or whatever shit comes to mind. Uh, but yeah, uh, thanks so much for listening, and uh, we will catch you next time.